you the quantum mechanics. Yes, we're the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast for believers, doubters, and everyone in between. And Ben, I had uh, I had a spooky thing last week happen to me, and I know people think that we just make this stuff up, but I swear we we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't. We don't. I promise you. We uh, we recorded last Sunday morning our episode on friendly ghosts, and there was nobody in the house so I thought normally I wait a few hours and then mix it later and I thought no it's quiet there's nobody in the house I'll mix it now Uh, and then about 10 minutes in we were doing the bit where we were talking about the different types of paranormal entities and poltergeists and stuff and then I heard this music and I thought ah the family are back my son's gone into his little play area he's just you know watching something on the telly so I went out to say, look, can you just keep the volume down because I'm trying to work here? And uh, there was nobody there, but his telly had just turned itself on <laughs> and was blaring out this music, which was really spooky. I I completely understand why that's spooky because your house is not small and that sort of noise, yeah, it's going to make a make an impact. Yeah, and I, I've had it happen to me once before. Weirdly, nobody in the house. I was editing the podcast probably about a year ago, and that telly turned itself on. And it, it doesn't. It's never done it any other time. So this is two occasions now. So it could be something paranormal. Although I was sitting there trying to work out if you know it was something, some signal from the computer or some. The only other, the only thing I could think that would make sense is that maybe my son was watching something on YouTube or Netflix and had paused, they'd gone out and then maybe after a couple of hours it had just switched that bit of it off and then reverted back to the original Sky Feed which was playing this loud music. That's the only non-paranormal explanation I can come up with and I'm hoping it's that but I tell you what if it had been in the evening and I'd have been here on my own editing the podcast while we were talking about poltergeist and the tv turned itself on I think I would have been more freaked out well you you mentioned there about your expectation that the family are coming back makes me think of Vardigas oh that's true yeah that's really interesting yeah yeah, because that's what he would have done as soon as he got in. He'd have, you know, gone to his little area and turned on the telly and started doing whatever he was right, doing. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah. Interesting. But, yeah, weird. Very weird. It does, it's not like the telly does it all the time. It's happened twice. Both times I've been here on my own and I've been editing the podcast. Well, many years ago I used to own one of those uh, uh, This Remote Does Everything. And I lived, I lived oh, yeah. in... Um, a flat with big 1970s windows uh, and on the bottom floor and there were other, there were three other flats on the bottom floor and I don't know why I sometimes used to take the remote control out and just casually change the channel <laughs> and turn off and on other people's televisions as I walk past oh, just that's freaky. just yeah ju- just just for giggles um I mean I was a younger man and times were simpler <laughs> And uh, it's pretty harmless fun. But I wonder whether Rumbelow's ever got a support call and they just couldn't figure out what or, was going on. Or, there, or there's a um, 
an increase in paranormal activity reports to the police in that local area. It's, <laughs> it's now a paranormal hotspot just because of you with your universal remote control. <laughs> oh, that's very possible. I wonder what category they'd put it in. I guess like TV wizard or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd be great if you could have learned like the 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 code number for the horror channel or something and you always switched it to something paranormal that really freaked me out but wow. um this does no it doesn't I, I can't think of an excellent segue into you were trying to segue weren't you i was really trying to segue uh, well no okay okay i'll go so this starts off with the ghost of a person who is in films right so, oh nice okay so, so th- this is um, I I found in a random newspaper article about a week ago. There's a Canadian study, and it is about who people would most like to see as a celebrity ghost. So, basically, celebrities who died, who would you most like to see as yep. a ghost? And bizarrely, Margaret Thatcher. Well, she's in the poll. She's 6%. I wonder, wow. out of 100 Canadians, the six people who were saying... Six, oh, I really would love to see uh, Margaret Thatcher. I know. It's weird, isn't it? It's That's weird. quite weird. That and I don't weird. even know that you <clears throat> categorise her as a uh, celebrity. Uh, but Jimi yeah. Hendrix is in there. Janis Joplin is in there. Um, Coco Chanel. I mean, sure. But number one... She'd smell nice. She would. She would. Number one, and he probably smelled nice as well, is John Candy at 27%. Oh, oh I love John Candy. Mm, me too. And, and it's interesting, it's a, it's a comedian at number one, because we did a similar question uh, a little while back when we did Celebrity Hauntings, and we asked people on social media who they'd most like to be haunted by. Same question, basically. Mm. Uh, and uh, Robin Williams, I think, came out number one when we did it. So people obviously would like to be haunted by a comedian. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, he wouldn't be that scary. And oh, and the other thing that I learned whilst I was researching this, did you know that John Candy was up for a role in the original Ghostbusters? Because I didn't. Oh, Oh, he would have been great in Ghostbusters. Yeah, he was going to be. Um, oh, who's the guy who is the uh, the keymaster? It's Rick Moranis. He was going to be Rick Moranis's character. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and he turned it down. And then they offered him the role of Slimer, and he turned that down. Um, oh. But but sad. And also the other <laughs> the other slightly disturbing thing is. He was uh, younger than me when he died of a heart attack. And uh, I remember wow. him dying and feeling very, very sad about the whole thing. But Such a great comic actor as well. Oh, he? Brilliant. He's amazing. Brilliant. And Timing. His timing was amazing. His, his timing and also his, the, his facial expressions are fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that, I was thinking, okay... This is interesting. And I'd originally gone down the tack of celebrity ghosts, but we've kind of done some of that before. And then I realised, um, well, I say I realised, I found out for, through a bit of research, it's 35 years since um, Trains, Planes and Automobiles was released. Right. And we've already done like objects which are, uh, I guess, possessed or 
cursed. But we've never done haunted trains, planes, automobiles. So that's where I've been expending oh, nice. my, uh, my image, my energy this week, because I thought there's got to be something in this. And obviously the first category is trains. And you remember how at the end of the last episode we were talking about how um, we both really got into this when we were kids via Scooby-Doo. Yeah. And I... I know in Scooby-Doo, I know, but I don't know the episode, that there were ghost locomotives, like proper trains that were ghost trains, a bit like ghost ships. You did that whole ghost ships episode, which I thought was fascinating. And so I thought, okay, let's have a look at some of the most prominent and interesting haunted cases around trains, planes, and automobiles. Great. So if we start with trains... The first one, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because it is a very much a visual thing, but we'll put the link in the show notes. There is, from 2018, there is a Chinese piece of CCTV from a train station, and it was reported in many of the national press here. The the uh, The one that I went to was the Daily Mirror, but it's in many places. It is a train that pulls up into a Chinese train station. It You can see the headlights. You can see people getting out of the train, although they're a little indistinct. But on the platform, there is, there is no reaction whatsoever. And this train is not scheduled. It is not supposed to be there. And people at the scene at the time, they saw nothing. This is only recorded on cctv and it's just it's a piece of modern uh spooky train phenomena which i think is fascinating it sounds like a it's a bit like um a visual evp yeah okay that's a really good way of putting it i hadn't thought of it that way yes it is it is a visual evp but um one of the explanations that is given for it being there is that it is like a a taped over tape but that is sort of discounted by the fact that this is a digital recording right so it's very hard to find an explanation and again it's one of those it's been picked up in so many of the the uk tabloid press i imagine globally as well you can find it on youtube i'm it's hard to know what the reality of it is but if it is real and it was released in the Chinese press, I think, you know, I think that's interesting yeah. because um, you don't often get a lot out of China yeah. in this respect. And we have, I remember that it's reminded me, we did do, there was a really interesting UFO incident we did cover a while back, which was from China with some amazing photos and stuff. Because you realise, you kind of think the size of the country and everything that's going on there yeah, if you do the math on paranormal activity, it should be quite high there. So, and th- uh, there must be a wealth of stories, but it's interesting that the video got out as well. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, as I say, we'll link to it, and yeah. it, I can't describe it any more than that. I think it's possible that it is digital artifact, something like that. But that is a really intriguing case of. Uh, modern day uh, spooky trains and uh, I, I would say it's been well covered in places like slapped ham and nukes top five on 
uh, on YouTube. So you sort of have to, you know, you know what those things are like. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend too much, much on it. But what I'm really interested in is um, that 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 legend of why do we think ghost trains exist? So. I'm not obviously talking about the fairground rides. I'm talking about actual spectral yep. trains that still persist after there is there is no train running, or indeed in uh, sort of in uh, at the same time as normal trains are running. But it's a, it's an ancient train, and I knew in the back of my mind that there was something around ghost train lights and. I think there are many cases, but the first one that I popped across was one in the village of St. Louis, which is actually in Canada. And this revolves around a mysterious ghost train that lights the path where tracks which once existed and have now been removed uh, used to run. Mm. And there's a, um, there's, a, there's a report in the local press from a resident, Edward Lucia, and he says that this was all part of growing up where he was in St. Louis. And he says, oh, there's always certain things that your community is known for. It puts you on the map. It makes you feel proud. And this is the the ghost lights of this train. And the legend goes back to the 1920s when apparently a conductor got decapitated by a train that was going through whilst he was inspecting the tracks. And the ghost light that apparently now appears is supposed to be him somehow and this is always there's always a disparity between what the legend is and what the actuality of the thing is but yeah presumably he is conducting this train and i thought that's super interesting because i imagine there'll be people who go out and search for these lights um you know some people will say they've seen them but you think well why why did ghost train sightings happen if they're not provable because you would think like there wouldn't just be a couple of slightly grainy youtube clips there'd be there'd be quite a lot of images of them what i like about that one is um i like the idea it's not actually the train tracks don't exist either now which i think somehow makes it even more spooky that it's where train tracks used to be as a certain level of yeah yeah of about it yeah, kind of um, stone tapey, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I then came across this piece of really interesting information about how a ghost train legend started, and there's nothing paranormal about it whatsoever, but it is interesting. So this happens in Stockholm, and the legend starts in 1965. So we're talking about the Stockholm Metro, and this is a well-known train system in Stockholm and all of the trains are painted in a standard green but they uh, the management company buy eight unpainted aluminium train cars to add to the fleet but the first thing they need to do is test them so they look completely different to anything else on the fleet well, I say completely different they still look like trains yeah. but they're not painted green and initially, they aren't, uh, they're not carrying passengers because they're being tested. And the idea was they, they could be produced at a cheaper price and they might be more efficient. 
So this this sort of really takes hold when people start noticing that these trains are going through their stations and not stopping. And it has the nickname of the Silver Pillin or the Silver Arrow for the locals. And instantly, this train isn't very popular because it looks so different to the others. They're very much used to seeing what they're used to. So it's a little bit like us, I think, seeing Black London taxis. And then we see one that doesn't either look like the shape or the colour of a Black London taxi. And you might be a bit sceptical about it. It's just the way that humans work, right? But the... The other thing about these trains is because they they have a different interior design and they're testing them, sometimes when they come into stations and initially people are not allowed on them, both the doors on the platform side and the doors opposite open at the same time. Okay. And this doesn't sound like a big deal, but this gets people talking. And added to that is this slightly weird interior because passengers aren't allowed on it at the moment it's got no graffiti it's got no posters it's got rather stark lighting and the description that is given by one observer is they look dystopian and this in contrast to the familiar trains begins to develop this kind of i don't think it's bizarre but it develops an urban legend that you might not expect you can see it can't you you can see the start of it they look completely different that silverness of them they almost look unfinished or or, or old don't they and then you've got the doors yeah opening, that's right yeah doors opening weirdly they're either going straight through the stations or people are not allowed on them you can see how that started to build up into something that's right so people start to say, if you get on board the Silver Arrow, right. you don't get taken to a station. You just travel and travel and travel and never get out. And there is a book that was <laughs> written in 1986. And uh, he's an, uh, the guy who writes it is an urban legend scholar. Uh, the book is bizarrely called The Rat in the Pizza, <laughs> which I think probably means something different to what we know but he says this urban legend of you know you shouldn't get on the silver arrow starts turning into people saying things like you only see it after midnight it only stops once every year the passengers in the train are the living dead expressionless with vacant looks and a very common detail he describes is that a person who just wanted to travel to the next station remained seated for one week in the silver pillin <laughs> and these are based on nothing absolutely right. nothing so there is no paranormal background at all it's just the legend built up for them being weird on the track basically look for being weird. weird that's right and because they started off with just engineering tests yeah of course there were <laughs> there were people like when you start testing something, they're not full of passengers. They're full of engineers who are monitoring test kit and writing notes and stuff. This is, this was the whole point of buying them, which was, can we get this thing cheaper? And people are taking this um, very seriously. But it turns into, by the 1970s, this legend of the silver pillin is widespread, <laughs> well-known, and it's growing. And then in 1975... 
they opened something called the Blue Line. And this is to expand the metro into a new economic redevelopment area. I mean, I'm going to liken this to a bit like London in the 80s with Canary Wharf. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. But yeah. The, the line was built and the trains were put on the line, but the development never materialised. <laughs> so when people were on these trains and by now the silver pillin are allowed to take passengers they go through these stations and the stations are there and they're lit but they've got no advertising hoardings they've got no people in them and uh they are you know i guess they call them ghost stations yeah well that would be and, spooky right yeah and then this turns into an urban legend of its own with a local saying saying only the dead get off at Kimling. <laughs> and so they start marrying the two legends together. So right. the silver pin and Kimling ghost station, and it becomes something bigger than the, you know, the sum of the parts. And so Kimling station is still there. People still remember seeing the silver pillin, but they were actually retired. They did go briefly into passenger service, right. but they were retired in the mid-90s. I think the last one came off the tracks in uh, 96. And <laughs> Not literally. They've been used... No, no, no. No, they've been used for all sorts of different things. Like um, there's one that is now uh, a police training um setting so that they can right. learn how to deal with like hostage situations or whatever but the the idea that there are ghost trains which look different to other trains which stop at stations where the undead get on and off still persists even you know 27 years after the last time the 37 years my maths is terrible after the last one was removed off the line, wow. is I, testament to how easy it is to grow a legend. I tell you what I'd love to do, Ben. I'd love to hire one of those and hire a load of people to dress up as zombies and ghouls and just drive that train around for, like, a night, just see what happened. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? I... I... I like, I'm so surprised nobody did that as a stunt. Yeah, it would be be hilarious. <laughs> well, it sort of... I think that, because we always try and come at this as, you know, the believers, the doubters and the in-betweeners, you start thinking, well, if it's this easy to get a legend Go. going around... Yeah, like, basically a train testing system then maybe it's pretty easy to get other legends going and that isn't to discount people's sightings or whatever it's just like an interesting observation on how the human psyche works you see an odd train on the underground you immediately say that's filled with the undead right <laughs> yeah yeah it is amazing isn't it so there, there there was no disasters there was nothing it was literally the fact that these trains looked different and there was no one on them and then it, it all built from there it's amazing it was an experiment in making things economically more viable that was all it was wow but there's 
when you start talking about metro systems, metro systems are intrinsically, I think, more spooky than overground train systems just because of where they are Mm. and the history of them. And particularly when you talk about the London Underground, it's it's super old. It's got a load of tunnels and stations which are no, no longer in commission. Those of us who grew up in Britain, we know about the role they played in the war, like people were using them as bomb shelters. There's a whole load of, uh, like, not baggage, but sort of lore, L-O-R-E, that goes with the, the London Underground. And about 15 years ago, uh, the one of the major broadcasters in the UK, ITV, they they put a show out over the Christmas period, which wasn't announced or promoted in any way, and it was it was called Ghosts of the Underground, and I'm pretty sure you can probably find it on YouTube or at least clips of it. But it was basically interviewing people who worked on the underground who had seen ghostly things, and it was usually around sort of things like you know oh i saw a girl get off on the cctv and then um she disappeared off the cctv and i went to follow to find out where she was and she was lost if you've never been on the london underground it's kind of hard to explain how absolutely enormous it is and how sprawling it is and it is filled with tunnels and staircases and escalators and elevators and all sorts it's really huge and it's also the audio as well isn't it the sound of those like a distant train on those tracks is spooky enough let alone everything else like yeah the miles of tunnels and all that stuff that's right well in in yes in some of the stations some of them are really deep like if you get off a, i think angel is the the deepest underground station the two escalators you have to use to get off Angel are enormous, like really enormous. Like it's like you're in a mine tunnel. And 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 on some of the stations where the track is really straight, you can see the lights of the train stopping two stations down. And it is quite it is it's very atmospheric and very I guess ethereal because they come from a Victorian time and we've sort of tried to modernise them with uh, Wi-Fi and posters and all of that stuff. But they are they are odd. They are odd. And so I thought, oh, OK, well, going bearing in mind what we know about how easy it is to start an urban legend about something paranormal and I know I could find easily within a second 50 stories of people who'd seen something odd on the underground i thought i wonder if there's anything that actually relates to something that is probably historically accurate and also people haven't heard before because i don't want to talk about something people have heard before yep. and i've had these two brilliant stories so the first one so we're bearing in mind when we're now back on the london underground system and uh I found this tale of actor William Terrace, who was stabbed to death by a disgruntled actor outside the Adelphi Theatre, which is close to Covent Garden. William Terrace is a renowned actor in the 19th century, and he has his own private entrance to the Adelphi. He enjoyed great success and was a frequent visitor to the Covent Garden Bakery. We'll come on to why that's important in a minute. 
His friend and fellow actor Richard Archer Prince was less successful and became an alcoholic. Terrace gave Prince acting parts and recommended him to the Actors Benevolent Fund, but on the 16th of December 1897, Prince slaughtered his so-called friend outside the Adelphi. That's not that's not Prince from Batman's, by the <laughs> no, way. That's, no. that's, um, that's Richard Archer. And I was thinking while you were saying that, it does put the Will Smith-Chris Rock feud into perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. Um, I imagine... I imagine something, there was a worse fate for Prince, but yeah. yeah. But when the bakery in Covent Garden was knocked down to make way for the Covent Garden underground station, the ghost of Terrace followed. Since then, commuters and underground workers alike report seeing his most debonair of ghosts, often with opera cape and gloves. Oh, and that's brilliant. He apparently, it is brilliant, and apparently he drifts across the station platform that's the dapperest ghost i've ever heard of well that's going to be that'll be an episode when when we reach 200 we'll put together the dapperest ghosts ever the dapperest ghosts and we might we might even do a a live uh session uh giving awards out if the ghost turned up dapper demons we can call it (laughs) dapper demons okay maybe we'll do it before the two yeah but um when I first read this, I was just thinking in, I compartmentalised this into, oh, this is a stone tape ghost. But actually, I've just realised that Covent Garden Station is really deep, like really, really, really deep. And it's one of the few that doesn't have an escalator. You either have got a tortuous amount of steps or there are these those weird escalate um, lifts, elevators they? they're lift yeah elevators that, yeah yeah they sort of they open at one side and then close That's and right. then open at the other side and they get like you get about like 20 people in them and they're automated they just they literally just go up and down but it's a long 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 way down to the platform in Covent Garden and i just wonder what he's doing down there maybe he's just really cross that he can't get the buns he wants or yeah because it was almost like yeah because he yeah unless i'm just trying to think unless they used some of the earth and gravel and they filled at the bottom after they dug down that's why he slipped down because i agree with you you're more likely to see him above ground than underground aren't you i mean yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't fathom why he'd be that. He'd be Either that way, down. Ben, I want to see him in his kind of opera cloak and his his gloves. That would be incredible. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I I really like that. But in complete contrast is Armin Ra. Never heard of Armin Ra. The ghost of Armin Ra is believed to be that of a cursed mummy put into the British Museum. Like Aldwych Station, which was formerly known as the Strand, and British Museum Station, it's what is known as a ghost station. Still there, but completely disused. Well, I didn't know there was a station there. British Museum Station. Yeah, I didn't either. It was closed in 1933 when nearby Hoban Station opened. And rumour has it that a secret tunnel linked the British Museum Station to the Egyptian room of the museum itself. giving Armin Ra, furious at being unearthed, a means to vent her rage. 
Why would you do that? Oh, I know what we'll do. We'll build a tunnel that goes from the station straight to the Egyptian section where the mummy is. It's like, what? Well, also, the other way around, the mummy's like, God, I'm really annoyed about this. Shall I just make my rage widely known or shall I go to the underground station and really target passengers? It's funny. I wondered if they'd convinced Amara that um, to move to the British Museum. You know, like you do with those kind of flat shares, <laughs> like close links to public transport. <laughs> Was that, that that's, that's how they convinced Amara <laughs> to come? All oh, right, fine, I'll come then. <laughs> she's she's currently uh, commuting to Stratford where she works at an artisan bakery yeah. that used to serve the Olympic Village, yes. I think Amara as well, but, uh, 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 from my memory, is in um, one of the Night of the Museum films, so they've obviously taken a bit of that legend into into those movies. Oh, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. But apparently those who've witnessed the screaming spectre of Amun-Ra report seeing an Egyptian princess adorned with magnificent headdress walking the platforms of Covent Garden and Hoban. God, so you could you so, could have both of those ones on the platform at the same time. That would be a sight, wouldn't you? The dapper one in his white gloves, <laughs> and then you've got Amun-Ra coming. You'd definitely think you'd lost your marbles if you saw both of them at the same time. Fight, 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 yeah, fight. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but which one is better? There's only one way to find yeah, out. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't leave ghost train phenomena without just reminding people we've covered it before. I think you covered it. Uh, the legend of Cloggy, who worked oh. on the world's first ghost train on Brighton Pleasure Beach. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Blackpool Pleasure Beach in 1930. And that was the first ride to be called the ghost train. And Cloggy, because he wore clogs, was renowned for uh, loving his job. And then after death, he apparently comes back to scare the passengers to give them the best, uh, I guess, theme park ride they could ever have. That you can see that when 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 Cloggy passed away, <laughs> and he's with the other ghosts, and they're like, "Go, what, what are you going to do now, Cloggy?" He's, oh, "I love my job. No idea. Didn't you work on the ghost train?" You just see the light bulb going off. Oh, my God, it's absolutely perfect. <laughs> I have an idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go and haunt the but, ghost train I used to work on. It's brilliant. <laughs> but the, th- the thing about it is, is like in all the reports I've read, and I think you covered this as well, it's groaning sounds, scratching noises, and the sound of clog-laden footsteps, whatever they are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're footsteps with clogs. Yeah. But, like, maybe maybe do something better than groan. Well, uh, like, yeah. well yeah. nobody said he was very good at the ghost train. He just loved it, right? Maybe. Oh, that's true, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can hardly well, tell him if you're, like, if you're the, the his line manager, you can't really say, look, can you just up your game or we're going to get you off that gig and send you somewhere else. It's like, he's cloggy. <laughs> he can't, you can't do that to him. <laughs> I am defined by my footwear. Yeah. I really hope that doesn't happen for everybody. Otherwise, the the only footwear I wear is DMs and Vans trainers. Oh. I'll be called Doctor Vans or something. <laughs> that well, which which does sound like a Hammer House of Horror villain. <laughs> Doctor Vans, <laughs> please welcome Doctor Vans. 
<laughs> well, look, there are so many ghost uh, train legends. I just picked a few there, which I thought people might not have heard of. And I really love that way that an urban legend yeah, springs massive. up. So now we've done trains and there are loads of stories. Let's move to planes because I've got a really interesting one, which I hope you haven't heard. Reach for the sky, Ben. Reach for the sky. So there are a number of cases around planes where it is either spectral planes or spectres on planes. And obviously there's a clear distinction. And... And I'm always more interested in spectres seen on planes. And if you, if again, I'm going to reference like Nukes Top 5 and those sort of top 10 ghost video things that you find on YouTube, you will find videos on there of like cabin crew and uh, I, I would guess security guards and stuff who see things on aeroplanes they shouldn't see, but they're kind of not very well referenced but this story although it is famous and it's even had a film made about it i was not massively familiar with it until i investigated it and i did a little bit of a test with a group of people that i know and none of them had heard of it have have you ever come across the ghosts of flight 401 i've heard the name flight 401 but i know Mm. little about it so Okay. Like you, I know okay. I know it is a story that's out there, but I don't know the details. But I, I think it's a pretty good one, right? Yeah, it is. And I wanted to find a sort of a recounting of the tale, which was uh, sort of both interesting and accurate. And I found this one, which I've slightly adapted from a blog of a airline steward and she wrote about this in the context of saying initially like sometimes planes can be pretty spooky and i can understand this she's saying like if you are the first on or the last off and all the power has been cut and you know you're just clearing up the last bits or whatever that plane can feel a bit spooky but she also says oh it's probably also because you've just spent 12 hours being you know on a flight from LA to London with people asking you to do stuff and the the juxtaposition of like all of that with the deadly quiet is probably just playing tricks on the mind but she then goes on to recount this story which as I say it is a film as well so apologies if you've seen this before or heard this before but really, this is the first time I've ever delved into it, and I hadn't really appreciated the detail. And she starts off by explaining that the whole thing starts around the 1970s, and it revolves around ghostly apparitions in the US airline world, very specifically Eastern Airlines. And it brings in passengers cabin crew pilots flight engineers and even top airline executives who all claim to have seen something but to understand why they've seen something we need to go to december the 29th 1972 on board eastern airlines flight 401 as it descends towards miami 
after its flight from New York, John F. Kennedy Airport. The mood on the four-month-old Lockheed L-1011 Whisperliner, registration N310EA, was upbeat. 163 passengers and 13 crew members were looking forward to enjoying New Year in the Florida sunshine. The TriStar, as the aircraft was also known, was one of the most modern and technologically advanced of its day and the pride of the airline's fleet. And this is kind of important. It's only four months old and it's like the best, the best plane they've got. The flight from JFK had been uneventful, but as the crew prepared for landing, the first in a chain of events occurred that would eventually lead to the loss of 101 lives. First officer Albert Stockstill was instructed to lower the landing gear. Alarmingly, the crew noticed that not all of the wheel indicator lights had turned green. Captain Robert Bob Loft, the names in this are increasingly fantastic. <laughs> they are definitely Airplane 2, aren't they? Was it Albert Stockstill and Bob Loft? <laughs> yes. Al Stockstill, Robert Bob Loft. The, was the he, way he was that under Stockstill this, and he was over Loft, right? <laughs> well, we've got a repo coming up. But I love the way she's like Robert inverted commas bob Bob loft as if bob were like she could have just said bob loft but i'm not you know from one creator to another no criticism yeah exactly um bob loft believed that it was just a faulty light bulb so stock still began to remove the bulb while flight engineer (laughs) i I know it's terrifying safety in the 70s is not what it was now well we got a warning light yeah yeah just get rid of the bulb (laughs) Well, I remember, I remember very, very distinctly, and it would be about 1983, my father having an almost brand new Citroen GS and the oil warning light kept coming on. And I'd only just remembered this when I, when I thought about this moment. He took it back to the Citroen dealer and their solution to it was, yeah, we get this all the time. We're just going to put a piece of tape over the light. So <laughs> genuinely, this different is a, times. different times. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but while the bulb is being removed, flight engineer Don Repo went back to the avionics bay He's also known as the hellhole. This is the first time I've heard that phrase. Yeah. It doesn't sound great, does it? But to visually check if the gear was down, and uh, uh, probably most people won't have watched Father Ted, but if you if you do know Father Ted, probably listening in the UK or Ireland, you'll know the bit where Father Ted has to go to check if the, uh, the wheel is down. It's basically that. So as all of the pilots attempted to resolve the issue they failed to notice that the autopilot had been disengaged and they were now slowly descending towards the Florida Everglades. The TriStar was travelling at 227 miles an hour when it slammed into the alligator-infested swamp just outside Miami. Most of the passengers were killed instantly and those that did survive faced an agonising wait for rescuers to reach the crash site. First Officer Stockstill died upon impact, but both Repo and Loft survived the initial crash. Repo was rushed to hospital, but later succumbed to his injuries. Tragically, rescue was also too slow for, tra- uh, for Captain Loft, who died at the scene. The subsequent investigation into the crash cited pilot error as the main cause. 
The crew failed to monitor the altitude as they tried in vain to deal with the undercarriage problem. Mm. And tragically, it was later revealed that the nose wheel had indeed been locked in place oh. and it was just a faulty bulb. Oh. I know. Oh, that is tragic. Wow. So, so although the majority of N310EA had been destroyed, certain parts such as the galley were salvageable. Eastern and Lockheed agreed that these parts could be reused and fitted into other L1011s on the production line. So when I was looking at this, I thought that was a little bit odd. But apparently, this is really common practice. So if you get on a jet and it's got, say, two engines, those two engines will not be as like a car. It's not like they come out of the factory and then two brand new engines are fitted and off they go. To make sure that there are no problems with manufacturing defects or anything like that, they mix up the engines. So they might both be new engines, but they'll be from different manufacturing runs. More often than not, one will be already on an existing airliner and proven, and the other one might be new. And so it doesn't matter. Sometimes they're from salvage aircraft, but they swap jets around like your easy jet plane that's done a million miles flying to ibiza they'll donate their engine to another aircraft that's going to alicante and swap it around just to minimize the chance of, of a manufacturing right, error yeah exactly i, I mean and I it makes a lot bit, of sense that, when you think about it that does make sense Although it is slightly different from a plane that's been in a crash and they're going, oh, we'll take the middle section, just dust that off and stick it on another plane. It's slightly different, but yeah. Well, I, could, yeah, just, you're I right. guess I you was... do it with cars, don't you? You just take parts from cars and scrapped cars. It's just like that, really. Wow. I didn't realise they did yeah, that. Yeah, you do. I was surprised about the galley. I just thought, how expensive could it be to make, make a new galley? But I guess... I guess if you're, so you're, the, you're the money is the guy. the bit where the, the, the air hostesses and stewards, they all do all the It's prep. the kitchen. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, of yeah. Of course it is, galley, yeah, yeah just like on a ship. Duh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and this is important later in the story. Okay. Because one of the aircraft that gains some of the parts from uh, the deceased craft it's known as N3180A. And as the weeks and months passed, strange things happen on that craft. Oh. So in 1973, on this aircraft, it was boarding for its flight down to Miami. Travelling that morning was one of the airline's vice presidents. As a VIP passenger, he was allowed onto the craft first and made his way to the first-class cabin. As he moved towards his seat he noticed a company captain in full uniform and went over to have a chat. During the ensuing conversation, he suddenly realised he was speaking to Bob Loft. The apparition quickly disappeared and the vice president rushed off to find a crew member, terrified that it could have been an omen that something would happen to this aircraft. Now, I I think that's pretty brave. If if you're a vice president, you are basically running up to someone going... I've just been speaking to a ghost and then going, think everything's all right? You think everything's all right with the plane? 
<laughs> can you imagine being a passenger? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, oh yeah, re- re- you can see them go, yeah, we've got one of the leading people at the airline on today. We've got the vice president on. He comes running down the middle of the kind of seats going, I've just seen the ghost of a dead airman. <laughs> is everything all right with the plane? You're like, oh, my God, the stock price is plummeting more than the plane. Jeez. <laughs> There's people exiting the aircraft via those inflatable yeah. slides. <laughs> no. This is not the time to but- panic. No, this is the time to panic. <laughs> And I like none of none of our laughter undermines the fact that these these people died. But it is that it's, is that juxtaposition of of just this really important man who you can imagine has an office, you know, like those nineteen eighties American films. He's got like a crystal decanter yeah. of very expensive whiskey. He's got a massive desk. He's he's got a secretary called June. He, he's the first man with a fax machine. And yet he speaks to this ghost and he's like, oh, wow. Christ, run. That is incredible. But he's not the only guy, right? And this is why a film was made of this, because there's so much evidence. And like, I'm going to talk briefly about how credible it is. But a few months later, back at JFK, a crew boarding the same aircraft was surprised to see Loft already sat in the flight deck. They apparently chatted to the ghost, not realising who he was. <laughs> I also think what she means is not realising that he was a ghost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, he's a, he's a ghost. I don't know who he is, he's just a ghost. Uh, before he vanished right before their eyes. The flight was later cancelled as the crew were too shaken to operate. Wow. And, you know, that's fair enough. And this is the point where, if you look at other accounts, people start asking questions of Eastern Airlines going what is happening here because you cancel a flight there's lots of people affected there's like 200 people affected and they want to know why but obviously eastern airlines aren't saying oh well there was a ghost and we just need to cleanse the aircraft that isn't don't listen to anything that our vice president said (laughs) it's fine (laughs) yeah yeah that's right yeah. yeah yeah he's uh he's a little bit you know you know he's good with the money but yeah. you know um it then she then goes on to relate so on aircraft l1011s flight engineers would usually arrive early at the aircraft before the other crew to carry out their pre-flight checks i think that's probably standard with yeah. most aircraft on this very particular day in question, a flight engineer was stunned to see an Eastern second officer already sitting in his seat. He immediately recognised him as Don Repo, and the apparition said to him, you don't need to worry about the pre-flight, I've already done it, before disappearing. That's, mate, so, so this, is a, this is a different guy, isn't it? So this is two ghosts from the original plane, right? So there's there's Repo yep. Yep. and Loft. Wow, so yep. the implication there is, I guess the narrative is because of the mistake they made that caused the crash. They now live on to stop anything bad ever happening to flights that they're, that, you know, that yeah. yeah yeah you're right you're you know right. where i'm going and i hadn't thought about this before yeah i do and it raises the question of like are they trying to repair some karma before 
possible. They can move yeah. somewhere else. Are they feeling the weight of all of the innocent people who died because of what was a very simple error? Like, yeah. it is a very simple error. It, like, what yeah. they suspected was a light bulb going turned into a, a fatal collision. Yeah. And if they if they hadn't accidentally knocked off the autopilot everyone would be fine yeah like it, it it was that one one movement of a simple switch yeah i like that, that so that they changed it yeah they're making they're trying to kind of feel an obligation to remedy what's happened wow yeah okay, that's interesting but i think i think the other thing that's sort of fascinating about it is that they are completely focused on this sort of aircraft and very specifically the aircraft that have had the spares from the the crashed one so you kind of gotta like what is the relationship between an ongoing consciousness and a piece of manufactured metal i think that's a little bit weird yeah. but let's let's finish this story because it has a great ending i think um she goes on to say some weeks later another captain was checking the instruments before a flight from miami to atlanta Staring him right in the face was the unmistakable outline of Repo's face. The captain claimed he distinctly heard the words, there will never be another crash on an L-1011. Oh, right. We will not let it happen. Wow, so that is, wow. But that's really specific, right? Yeah. Like, and this goes into what our assumptions about, you know, the power of, ghosts or the non-power of ghosts are like why just l1011s yeah. why not any craft why is there not a set of deceased pilots and engineers who are working to prevent all crashes on commercial aviation well, but, I or, guess, I, but i guess sorry to interrupt you but i guess that's there's something about that piece of the original aircraft maybe they just can't travel to any other aircraft so they have to they're doing what they can yeah. with the aircraft pieces that they're uh originally attached yeah. to yeah but but i think that's an odd concept but it's a it's one of those things that we could not possibly understand is what is the relationship between like just literally a piece of material and a deceased spirit how is how is that connected yeah. and and that is that sort of goes to everything that we cover from you know the 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 haunted trains and cars that will come onto to houses and things like that, but also there is another really interesting way of looking at it, which is if there are a bunch of people who are in you know have moved into spirit who are trying their very best like this to prevent airline crashes, maybe the reason why there aren't major airline crashes on a regular basis and let's face it it does seem like a bizarre thing to do to put a hundred ton piece of metal in the sky you know two thousand times a day maybe maybe there is maybe there is more of a spiritual connection maybe that is something that is completely overlooked maybe there are spirits looking after dreamliners and boeing 737s and all of that but just to continue this journey it isn't just the flight crews or senior execs who see stuff. 
On one occasion, several caterers loading N3180A for its next flight were seen rushing off the jet and refusing to get back on. When asked why, they all stated that they had seen a flight engineer standing in the forward galley before vanishing. Passengers also reported strange occurrences. A woman sat next to an eastern pilot who she said looked ill called a stewardess only for the pilot to disappear in the seat he was sitting in. (laughs) And I think that's... Like, that is terrifying. But there's also another level of something there in that the... It's sort of like the cognitive ability of the ghost to seek out a seat that is available and then just appear there. I think that's remarkable. But there is there's a there's a final straw to this which I think makes the whole thing either credible or you could say a more likely a gigantic hoax. Flight 903 had just taken off from JFK en route to Mexico City. Stewardess Faye Merriweather was in the galley preparing the meals for the passengers and as she reached for the handle of the oven door, she was horrified to see the face of Don Repo staring back at her. So this is... What, in the oven? This is a ghost head in the oven. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You could just hear him saying, don't have the veggie lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, like un- unless you are a committed vegetarian, yeah, never have, have the veggie meal on a on a flight. Yeah. Never, never. Wow! So this, is- and you'll like you'll like this bit. Go on. She she says not one to panic. She went briskly to the other stewardess and the aircraft engineer to come and take a look. Now, I wonder how you you phrase that conversation. <laughs> yeah. You, you come you running out come of the galley. The galley with me. Yeah. <laughs> I've just put the veggie lasagnas in, and You'll never guess what I saw. <laughs> I don't want to freak you out, but well, just come and have a look. There's a head in the oven. <laughs> when they return, Repo's face is still staring out from the oven. Although multiple people see it. Yeah. So in this case, at least wow. three. Wow. And they hear. The apparition mutter the words. I don't know if he muttered. I don't know if that's a good thing. Like if you, if you've gone to all that effort, you're not going to mutter. You're going to pronounce them, aren't you? Yeah. Watch out for fire in this space. Well, it is an oven. <laughs> it it is it is an oven, but the flight reached Mexico City safely. But on the return leg, problems began with the starboard engine. After an inspection, the aircraft was cleared for takeoff, but as the plane climbed away, the engine failed and backfired several times. It was quickly shut down before it caught fire and returned to the airport. Thankfully, no one was hurt during the incident, but the crew were understandably very shaken after what they'd seen in the oven door. I never thought I would see a sentence saying understandably very shaken after what they'd seen in the oven door. But in this case, it absolutely makes sense. So you've got... Weirdly, though, it's making me think about... um, Because we said, we remember with Monet, when we we did the Wandsworth haunting, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and Monet had seen the floating head, and we say, oh, they're so rare, and you don't hear about them very often. Imagine opening an oven, and then there's one... That that would just blow your mind, wouldn't it? It would, and... I think it, it. I don't know whether this 
steward whether she's heard about this legend before and then that combined with her airline training makes her not scream the place down which is what i would do but she's like oh sure there's a head in the oven i guess i'll just get the engineer in case this is a technical fault (laughs) and then he's like oh yeah i see we've just uh re we just need to redo this wiring and uh, the head will disappear. It's a, it's a perfectly natural instance. Very weird. It's very weird. But well, also, if they, do, if they decided not to do cooked food on that flight, <laughs> I just got a vision that head would have been in there, like desperate to tell them to be careful of fire on the plane, but nobody opened the oven door. It could have been just a whole waste of time. I guess he would have appeared somewhere else somewhere else mm, i don't it's know it's quite a nice way of doing it though without freaking the passengers i guess because <laughs> yeah. he's hidden you know what i mean no passenger's gonna see it so it's it's quite a clever way of doing it it is yeah it is but like if you go through the thought process he's a guy who's overseen the tragic crash of an aircraft and he's trying to prevent it again and he's there in the other world the night before this plane, writing notes down, going, right, I'm going to need to tell people this is going to be it's going to be a fire. I need to find a good way of doing it. Uh, what are my options? I could leave a note. No, that's not going to be good enough. People won't do that. I could appear as a full apparition to the captain. Uh, what's my other option? Oh, appear in the oven. Ah, oh, sod it. That's it. I- I'm going to appear in the oven. Yeah, but then he'd have to go, oh, I can't be a full apparition because I'm not going to fit in there. <laughs> head only. <laughs> I have to detach my head so I can fit in yeah, the Yeah, head only in the oven. Tick box. Okay. Set my alarm. That's what I'm doing. I... <sighs> that, it's crazy, though. Amazing that there was multiple people saw it as well, according to the... That yeah, 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 yeah. Three people saw it. Wow. That. So after that, obviously, Eastern Airlines were getting a lot of attention and they were yeah they were absolutely beleaguered by people asking if they could do you know spirit contact paranormal investigations everybody who was anybody in the paranormal world was on their case and as you would imagine because they don't want to appear crazy and lose their share price they say no but what they do do is removed all the salvage parts from 401 from the suspect jets. And I say suspect, the jets where people were seeing these things. And yeah. and uh, the ghosts of Bob and Don were never seen again. And it wow. is true. I mean, that's quite a bold statement, though, that, isn't it? You are basically... I mean, we said this before about, you know, court cases and that story, the time travelly one we did with thingy Perez uh, being released from prison because people then believed his story later but it that uh, uh, fascinates me that that some big corporation has basically decided to take that decision either because they think their plane is haunted or they know from a PR perspective people do so they need to do something about it I find that incredible right yeah 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 Well, the end of the story is that uh, Bob and Don were never seen again, but Eastern did cease to exist, but there was never, ever a fatal crash on their TriStar fleet ever again. Wow. So 
when we say well okay so i will say there is a film about this and there are also a number of books about this some who just recount the story some who claim that there is a problem with the story and i think what we always say is you follow the money now the only explanation that i can give which follows the money is you have a brand new premium aircraft four months into service so the whisper liner as it's called which reminds me of the uh the boeing dreamliner yeah. and it crashes into the everglades and you can imagine that there's going to be a lot of passengers because obviously people in the u.s they use aircraft way way more than us in the uk because yeah. you know pretty much we can just drive or train to anywhere in the uk but that's not obviously possible in the states and these are internal flights maybe it's possible that somebody in their pr department said okay we just need to convince people or at least a subset of people that this ain't going to happen again we tell them that the ghosts of the people who crashed before are looking after the new aircraft now that is a wild speculation <laughs> i've got no evidence as we for often it. say ben as we have to say, God, I'd love to be in that meeting. Right, yeah. And, and I, I really don't think that that is something that I've had an happen. idea. <laughs> I've had an idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, the way that so you would pitch it is you would walk into the meeting dressed as Bob Loft with makeup prosthetics yeah. and go, who here recognises me? And like all the marketing people are like, no. And then one exec walks in and goes, are you Bob Loft? And he goes, yes. And then he freaks out and runs away and goes, that's what I'm talking about. That's the effect this PR campaign is going to have. <laughs> but it also, I mean, I know, you know, people do some terrible things, but let's go with it. Let's go with what they did, if that's what they did, that... Um you know, it's quite a distasteful thing to do because to make to make that up, yeah, and yeah. Not only that, it seems like a high risk strategy. Easily backfire, right? Yeah, a, if it you is a high risk out, strategy. B, I'm not sure it would work anyway because people then just go, "Well, there's ghosts on those planes. We're not getting on them." It's you know what I mean. It's like. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't. I don't think it's very realistic. It was the only explanation I could come up with which said, you know, this isn't real. The the only you know the only other one is that it is just uh, a massive hoax. But again, you come into well, that's massively poor taste because it's people talking about recently deceased ex colleagues. There's a lot of people that have to be involved in it. There's a lot of imagination, creative writing that has to go into it, and then beyond that. It is a matter of recorded fact that those planes were cancelled. That plane did suffer the engine problem. And so you'd have to back-engineer the story, and then everybody who was involved in that would have to come on board and not vehemently disagree with what it was that you were saying. So I do think story. there is something wow. yeah, I agree. in it. It's a great story, and I... I really, really, really hope it's true because it there's a, if it is true, if we take it at face value, 
like we just said, there is something that those guys needed to prove to the world to change the outcome of future events, which they felt that they had, you know, been responsible for. And whether it's a karmic thing or something else. It, it does follow on, doesn't it, from the episode we did last week on Friendly Ghosts, because it is a, it's, an, it's an altruistic act of trying to protect and save. That's an amazing story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it does. It does. It's, it, it fits yeah. perfectly into your friendly ghosts. But this is one of those very few cases where there are, I guess, witness statements around things that happen actually on aircraft. One of the other things that I'm fascinated about are people who see aircraft, and I'm not talking about UFOs, but specifically aircraft which shouldn't be in the place that they are and one of the most fascinating subsets of that is the world war ii aircraft that people still see over parts of the uk and as i say one of the the downsides of looking into those cases is they're usually quite um i guess uh ill-reported it's sort of usually a little bit like some ufo cases not not all at all but some cases where people say oh i saw a thing and then there was a thing and who who are you anyway you know all of that but i found some really good local reporting from the uk about potential ghost world war ii aircraft and this one comes from the north of england and as I say, it's local local press, and this one is from last year. And the first statement is from a contributor called Iris Robinson, and her husband Keith. Um, she's in her in, in her late seventies, and they saw two planes fly low near their home in Belper at six fifty p.m. on Monday. She said, "We were in the kitchen when we heard them coming." We looked out and saw one plane pass over and bank to the right towards Ashbourne. Then a few seconds later, another one passed over. They were flying so low, they were dark-coloured, but they went so quickly that you couldn't see anything else. Many witnesses said that they saw what appeared to be a large green aircraft, possibly a Douglas Dakota, sweeping the skies before making its way towards the ground as if it were about to crash. The sightings were all around 6.45pm and many said that the area went eerily dark as the plane flew over. Uh, One contributor on a local Facebook page said, I was in the car with my dad on the A38 at around 6.45pm on Monday and two aircraft flew over us. It was scary. They were so low. I thought they were going to crash. They made no noise and produced no contrails. Julie Lilly also wrote on Facebook, We saw two large planes around 6pm on Monday night. They flew over our house in Bargate in Belper. They were very low, huge, quiet, and I wondered if anyone else had seen them. Engineer John Ho was driving along Woodhead Pass towards Glossop when he saw two aircraft at the same time between 6 and 6.30pm on Monday evening. He said there were two of them flying quite slowly close to the ground. They looked like they were grey, oldish army airplanes with no markings that I could see. I wanted to take a picture, but there was nowhere to stop. 
they flew straight across the road and then one of them started banking. So this is the this this is an aircraft sighting with a mass uh, number of witnesses and they're all saying the same thing and this is super unusual. So this is in the north of England. This is um, probably the most famous place mentioned there is Glossop. So you will you will find Glossop sort of north and slightly to the east of the Peak District, which is pretty northern England. But there's another re- reported sighting that comes in via the East Midlands in a different press, but it reports the same craft. And it says, witnesses stated they saw a, a dark, fast-moving and silent aircraft sweep across the sky. Some even claim it might be the apparition of a Second World War Douglas Dakota that crashed more than so 70 years ago. So again, same plane, same plane. And uh, this particular press is from the East Midlands and it cites social media being awash with reports of this thing. And so I think this is this is where... Uh, two local press haven't kind of completely joined up because in the UK, local press tends to be owned by local companies and there's no reason why they would conspire. But when you look into it, the timings are similar, the reports are the same, the two aircraft, the dark markings, the... Interestingly, one of the witnesses says that they heard them. Everyone else says they're silent, or there's a darkness, whatever. Yeah, I was thinking mm. that. Yeah, I, I did think that because they said we heard them coming, didn't, mm. didn't they? Mm. And then everyone else said they're silent. But I mean, I guess I guess the comeback from a skeptic point of view is, you know, was there an air show going on around that time or? I guess air traffic control would know that there well, was something Well, when, there, when right? you look into it, and this is where you have to kind of delve into social media and the posts are all a little bit like blah, 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 blah. Um, so what I can say is that um, if we take it at face value, people did look into it. There was no air show. There was no registered aircraft flying over at that time. And even if you're a privateer who owns a Dakota, it's perfectly legal to own a Dakota aircraft and fly it privately, but you still have to have a registration mark and a, uh, a flight plan, surely. And a what? Sorry. And a flight plan. A fl- yes, a flight you know, plan. Yes, exactly. You must tell people. Yes, and right? a transponder. Unless you're smuggling something. Yeah, and not. I can't believe that the north of England and the Midlands is a hotbed of kind of illicit. Airborne drug trafficking. No, no. <laughs> in Dakota. Very in specifically not in World War II aircraft. No, no. <laughs> yeah. And and I think that's what's interesting. So the difference, obviously, between that case and the Flight 401 is that we're not talking about individuals. We're talking about a ghost vehicle. Um, but I yeah. do think it's worth covering because that is just a really small subset of the amount of people who see world war ii aircraft flying overhead and most of them can be explained away by air shows or historic flight uh shows but there's a huge number which can't be and it's when those people take the time to go and check out with local air traffic control and 
um, you know, all of those flight plans are publicly available. That's kind of the point of them. Because if you're a privateer mm. pilot, as long as you've got a pilot's license, you can take off from your garden if you want. But they're all, mm. all of those flight plans, as you say, are published to avoid incident. And you have to be, you know, uh, your license is awarded by the CAA to make sure that doesn't happen. And yet this cannot fall into those categories because the flight plan doesn't exist there's no transponder there's no registration mark and you get these similar reportings of mostly silent mostly dark mostly looking like it's going to crash mostly saying it's a world war ii style aircraft super weird and i love those and they sound like time slips don't they they do really sound like time slips yeah yeah and and you sort of think like what might cause them and perhaps it's the emotional investment of the people who were flying in them because they would have been running bombing missions over occupied europe at the time and so maybe there was this you know huge desire to stop you know an invasion of britain or whatever it was and perhaps it's that emotional investment that causes these replays. Let's let's move on to the third part of the film, the cars. Now, we have done a number of car stories. We did Little Bastard, the Porsche. At- yeah, James Dean's Porsche that was haunted. Interestingly, I was thinking of that story when you were talking about the flight 401 as well because uh for those who don't know that story we have covered it and talked about it a bit but james dean had a porsche uh it was predicted by alec guinness that he might die in it a week later he did it said that the car was haunted and then parts of the car were used in other cars and, and things started happening to that there's a whole story behind it but it did remind me of that yeah 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 and I think anyone who's ever had a deeper, meaningful conversation about paranormal vehicles will have talked about Franz Ferdinand's uh, stiff limousine. So I'm not going to go there. But uh, if you're not familiar yeah. with it, like it's been covered a billion ways, just go and go and look at it. That's interesting. But um, I started off with the idea of, OK, so um, we all know about like weird things that might appear in your back seat when you're driving at night or whatever i really like cases which are like herbie for example herbie the weirdly sentient vw beetle um odd christine which i think is a is a wonderful film and i wanted to look at less well-known cases of of that and i found a couple of those uh, one very specifically about a 2004 Renault Megane, uh, which is not what you'd expect. Um, for it's not what you would expect to be the start. That is not the sentence I was expecting you to say at the start of a paranormal story. No, no. For, for anyone, I would imagine outside of Europe, a Renault Megane is a French family car it's about as interesting as a roll of toilet roll and has <laughs> similar te- technological advancement, particularly in 2004. 
You can buy one now. <laughs> we've just we've just lost our our Reno McGann listeners, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, but even then, come on. I mean, it's like it's just yeah, it's just a family car. It's just a, it's a really bog standard family car. Yeah, don't double down. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So there's a haunted Reno McGann, is this? Well, yeah. Saying? So this this is in Cape Town. And okay. it happens in 2004 whilst the family are asleep. And the person relaying the story says that they'd had some friends around for dinner and the night is quiet and still until they are startled by the roaring engine of their Renault again. They rush outside fearing a robbery and see their vehicle jumping around on their driveway. They call the police and tell them what had happened there was no break-in no one was in the car the handbrake was still engaged and there weren't any keys in the ignition as the police see the car is still sitting still they begin to suspect an elaborate joke right up until the point the car roars into life once again and plows into a tree with no one inside (laughs) to this day Renault themselves maintain the car probably had a faulty starter motor which caused the engine to start by itself quite how that explains the revving of the engine or the jumping movement of the car as reported by nine eyewitnesses is unclear wow because it wouldn't jump like that would it it would just it would rev but how do you get it to move because if it's if it's automatic it would have to be in park if it's you know if the key's not in it it's got to be in park most cars don't work unless it is that's right and if it's if it's in, if it's a uh, a geared car, then you'd have to put it into gear unless it was already stuck in gear. But with the handbrake on, maybe I guess. But then it wouldn't drive off, would it? Yeah, that's bizarre. Well, I think a car. You're right. If it's a manual, and the starter motor starts it, it wouldn't start the engine. It would cause it, it would stall because it would cause it to lurch forward. Because the clutch would be out, so it would cause it to lurch yeah. forward in first gear on the alternator motor rather than the engine. Yeah. yeah. So it wouldn't yeah. work. It wouldn't work. Either way, it doesn't work. No, right? it's a it's a possessed Renault. Wow. And then the the other one that I really like that I hadn't heard before is about a 1964 Dodge 3.3.0 limited edition called the Golden Eagle. It's a, it's a pretty iconic car if um, if you're a fan of American sort of road movies from the 70s or early 80s. Oh, I've just got to look at it. That's quite a good... That's, that's it's nice. quite fancy, that's isn't it? Car, yeah. That. Yeah, I like um, that. This particular car was a police car and all three police officers who drove this car during its years as a cruiser brutally murdered their families and then killed themselves. So that's, you know, that's a thing. That's not a good track record. It isn't. It was later sold as a civilian car, but after it was sold, doors would open on the highway, the engine would stall without reason, the steering would jam, the brakes would give out, and it's noted that the car seemed hell-bent on killing anybody or everybody, but as many as possible. It also didn't like people who were trying to joyride it. A series of would-be vandals in the 80s and 90s were all killed in gruesome ways. Uh, 
In addition, at least two children were killed near the Golden Eagle and came to rest on either the bumper or the bonnet of the car and an entire family died in a house fire two weeks after a child uh, dared touch the car. The, the vehicle was dismantled in 2010. And, <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, and the reason they did so is because uh, a number of local churches believed that the car was possessed by a demon. But there were enough parts found to reconstruct the shell of the car. But <laughs> some of those who helped break the car up didn't survive long enough to see it rebuilt. <laughs> being killed shortly after vandalising the Golden Eagle. And uh, the short article goes on to reference the Stephen King novel, Christine. And yeah. uh, Christine killed at least 14 people, but the idea is that the Golden Eagle killed many more. Killed yeah. more? Yeah, but I... I, wow. uh, I That's incredible. It, it, I wondered... Um, it was making me think we've done things on American houses where you have to say whether they're haunted mm. or not. I'm, I'm imagining the same doesn't apply to automotive sales. Yeah, is your. Is you you can hardly say two careful owners, can you? Oh. <laughs> 355 dead owners. <laughs> God. Yeah, it's terrifying, isn't it? It's terrifying. I. Yeah. Yeah, in my, yeah. I don't know. Is it possession? Is it bad luck? I I always fall on like it must be bad luck, but who knows? I got this vision now as well that there's bits of it in a barn somewhere, and it's like it's going to get another lease of life as somebody kind of finds the parts and decides to restore it to its original glory without knowing its history. You're probably right. That's actually the, a good plot for a horror movie. Okay, so those are two haunted vehicles, but I can't leave this go until I speak about probably the most famous haunted road story in the UK. You've come across the hairy hands, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a good story there. So the hairy hands is a ghost story that focuses on a stretch of road that has supposedly a high number of accidents during largely the early 20th century, but it does stretch beyond that. And the suggested cause for the loss of control of these vehicles is given to be supernatural interference, i.e. a pair of hairy hands. And the legend is set between Post Bridge and Two Bridges on the B3212, so that is basically Dartmoor, and you can look this up on your Google Maps. It's not a massively long road, but it is. Uh, it's not well populated. It's very rural, and it's a little bit windy. And according to stories, the hands appear suddenly, steering, uh, seizing the steering wheel of a car or the handlebars of a motorcycle and they then force the victim off the road. And in the early cases of the hands, they are described as being invisible. So since around about 1910, drivers and cyclists have allegedly been reporting unusual accidents, and the victims reported that their vehicle had swerved violently off the side of the road. Some described it as if 
as if something had wrenched the vehicle out of their control. This could happen to cars, motorcycles, vehicles of even those pulled by a pony and trap, and, and even people on a cycle. And one of the earliest cases, and I, I love this one, in June 1921, Dr. Helby, who was at the time serving as the medical officer at a nearby Dartmoor prison, lost control of his motorcycle and sidecar. In the sidecar were seated his two children, who survived. He had just about enough time to warn the children to jump before he was thrown from his bike and killed. His children related that as he shouted to them to get to safety, he was fighting against an invisible force in an effort to control his bike. And he apparently said to them, it's a pair of hairy hands. <laughs> so he could see them. He could them, see them. Or, he, or, he, I guess, or, or maybe he could he, feel well, them, maybe. Well, that this is up for debate, yes. Maybe he felt yeah. them. On August 26th of the same year, a young British army captain lost control of his motorcycle and was thrown to the verge. He was described by the local media as being a very experienced rider. And in response to questioning, the captain said, it was not my fault. Believe it or not, something drove me off the road. A pair of hairy hands closed over mine. I felt them as plainly as ever I felt anything in my life. Large, muscular, hairy hands. I fought them for all I was worth, but they were too strong for me. They forced the machine into the turf at the end of the road, and I knew no more till I came to myself lying a few feet away in my, on my face in the turf. So these are like <laughs> super early cases of these bizarre, sometimes visible, sometimes invisible hairy hands. And I can't like through all of the accounts you do get some people who draw you, you know like witness impressions of what they look like but i still can't quite work out whether they just like human hairy hands like richard key's hairy hands or yeah. whether they're like a supernatural like a shrek hairy hands there's no real consistency yeah yeah it it sort of feels like in the tales they are just a really strong pair of human hands. I think that's kind of where we're at. But um, and there's no backstory to them. No, there's no backstory. No, no, no. Nobody, nobody knows why or or what they might be. It's quite a random thing. And and also, if people have had accidents, you're not. It's not the first thing you're going to say, is it? It's not, you're not going to make it up. You're not going to. You're not going to go along with the folklore of it when you've had an accident, have you? Do you know what I mean? No, I mean, no. Yeah, you could, no. Yeah, wow. Um, so I was looking for a more contemporary account because obviously those are over 100 years old. And I found this one, which is a, an anonymous post on a ghost enthusiast website, but it absolutely relates to what we're talking about. And uh, it's not very long, but it goes like this. My uncle was working for a builder's late on a site when he got held up and came home a different way and had to go down the same road. He was driving a small van and said if it was very dark, said it was very dark. And first he felt like the van was being followed or someone was watching him and just felt spooked. And he thinks he saw someone on the side of the road, but he knew no one was there. When he went further down the road, he felt his van grabbed 
like as if by a force, and he could not keep the steering wheel straight, so he was going into the side of the road. He's a builder, and a big strong guy, not a weakling, and he was trying to turn the wheel as hard as he could, but there was no way. Then he felt something on the wheel and looked down, as his eyes were just on the road until then, and he saw a pair of large hands covered in hair on the steering wheel, grabbing it and pushing it the other way. His van went up on the verge and banged hard onto the grass moor and almost wound up hitting a tree, but he stopped. Just then the hands disappeared, but he was really scared and lucky someone came up the road a few minutes later behind him in another car and stopped to see if he was all right as he was up the bank and he was so clearly off the road. He was okay, but he was in shock. My uncle still swears blind that this happened to him and he's not someone who admits to such things. He was about This was about 20 years ago, but he did not know about the story of hairy hands until he was told about it. That is amazing. That's a good witness as well. It's good, yeah. I think so. Fascinating. I... I, I uh, the other thing that makes me feel that gives some credibility to this, the whole hairy hands thing, is is weirdly the lack of a backstory that I'm aware mm. of. Because, you know, you know, we've said like some of these stories seem too good to be true. You know, you can see something of, oh, yes, it was the ghost of so and so who was batter, who was run over by a drunk motorist and it's their way of getting revenge or something. Do you know what I mean? But in fact, there is no backstory, unless anyone out there knows of a kind of legend or backstory that goes along with that. But as far as I'm aware, there isn't one. So, uh, yeah, it gives it really fascinating. Yeah, I think so as well. And this goes back... like the So, full disclosure, I remember hearing about this legend on a kids tv show back in the 80s called the wide awake club you'll be familiar with this peter wackaday yeah and they had a they had a segment called ghost monsters and legends and you will also be excited both as a co-host and listener to know that i managed to secure a book version of that which i didn't know existed for 76p yesterday and no. in the future, I am going to be telling you some children-friendly uh, ghosts, monsters and legends stories from the 80s, probably just as a holiday extra at some point. But I was super excited to get this because it was one of the high points oh, of a that. Saturday morning when we were growing up. But I, I've known the hairy hands since I was about 10 because it was reported on that show. And I thought, all oh, right, I'm going to get that because I just want to see how they spoke about it. Because I remember really distinctly seeing them animate it with like big green sort of Hulk hands and the whole um, the whole story. But like it fits into all of those weird roadside stories that Ruth Roper Wilde has spoken to us about, like the um, the the black stockings and all of that, and. It's 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 again one of those things that uh, that if you'll pardon the pun haunts my mind when I'm driving back late at night, looking in the rearview mirror, hoping not to see something in the back seat, and I just think about the hairy hands and 
I don't want to see the hairy hands, but I love the hairy hands. So, no. so in this episode, we've gone from non-ghostly, ghostly Stockholm trains to uh, ghost hands in the north of England. <laughs> and I do hope that you listening will have not heard at least some of these stories. This was meant to be... Um, a not too heavy episode just to enjoy because there's enough horrible stuff going in the world at the moment so hopefully these stories are something that you can uh, take down the pub and have a chuckle about well also we kind of started this off with uh, talking about John Candy and I think he would have been uh, I think he would have approved the way we dealt with planes, trains and automobiles I, Um, I think he would as well and all I have to say to you is that's not a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> Just before we go, we mentioned Ruth Roper well. We're hoping when we said the other week that oh we miss her and we wanted to get her back on. I think maybe next week, maybe the week after, she'll uh, she's going to come on. So uh, we'll be welcoming Ruth back. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Oh yes, in the next couple uh, of weeks. And her Facebook group has been awash with places she's been investigating. I can't wait to hear what she's yeah, found out. Really yeah, good to catch yeah. up. And the other thing uh, I did say, we joined a group called Wide World of Paranormal Investigators recently. We like to join some of these groups and kind of talk to people uh they welcomed us with open arms and they asked if we could give them a shout out on the podcast in case anybody wants to check them out so that's wide world of paranormal investigators which was a lot harder to say than i was expecting it to be. <laughs> oh brilliant oh nice one thank you guys and um, please do go give them a like these um uh these facebook groups are really really valuable they connect people who have a massive passion about this sort of thing and we love connecting with them because uh we want to do something that's kind of honest and real and these people are honest and real and often bring brilliant stories and insight that you just don't get through like mainstream mainstream. media stuff so yeah, yeah it's lovely to connect with you guys thank you so much for welcoming us in yeah cool All right, well, we will be back next week with more fun and frolics on the quantum... Oh, that nearly rhymed. I was going to say more fun and frolics on the quantum McCulloch's. The quantum McCulloch's? McCulloch's, Well, that's a spin-off for people with young babies that won't sleep. Yeah, yeah, the colics. Who've eaten too much McDonald's. Perfect. All right, um, please like and subscribe, tell a friend review meet us in the pub give us 10 pounds anything anything be perfect (laughs) yeah cool we'll see you next time on the quantum mechanics take care thanks for listening Bye. bye the quantum mechanics.